Listener Production. Okay, are you recording? G'day and welcome to all you good people wherever you are listening to episode 65 of the Howie Games Part A. We love you. We truly love you for tuning in and giving the Howie Games some of your valuable time. If you haven't already, could you please subscribe to the show? Don't worry, it doesn't cost anything. Just hit the subscribe button on your podcast supplier and what that means is as soon as we release an episode, bang, you get it straight away. Also, if you like the show, you could rate it. That'd be super. Last show, we promoted that this week we would be featuring Big Bash brother Chris Lynn. You know what, though? As good as Lynn is, and make no mistake about it, he is a superstar. We're holding Chris off for one more show simply because this week's guest, well, she is so good, we needed to get her episode to air. Her name is Elise Perry, and I don't think it's overstating it to say the woman, she's a phenomenon. This time she goes leg side. She can find the boundary at ease. Four, six. You will not, I promise you, see a better test innings. Truly amazing innings from Elise Perry. Okay, stick with me here. To illustrate just how good Elise is, this episode was actually recorded in early October 2018. Since then, since then, Elise Perry has been to Kuala Lumpur to help Australia to a 3-0 T20 win over Pakistan. Then she headed to the Caribbean for the T20 World Cup where Elise batted five times, four times she was not out, averaged 60 with the bat and took nine wickets at an average of under 10 with the ball and with her Southern Stars teammates won her fourth T20 World Cup. They play tip and run, they get home. Australia, champions 2018. They have now won it four times in the last five occasions. And then, then, Elise has pretty much broken every batting record in the WBBL this season prior to the final. And I'm not normally big on stats, but you need to hear these numbers. She's batted 17 times. Seven times she's been not out. She's made 650s, 200s, and averaged 93 with a strike rate of over 120, which is over 30% more runs than anyone else in the competition. And she's gone straight over there, and she has magnificent batting from Elise Perry. They win the game, and she gets the sensational century. And she's also taken 10 wickets. So we had to get this episode out before our heroine did something else remarkable. And just before we roll it, if you weren't aware, Elise is the youngest ever cricketer to represent Australia. She did it at age 16. But wait, there is more, because Pez, as she's widely known, has also played in a World Cup for the Matildas in football. Remarkable. As I said at the start, Elise Perry is a phenomenon. She is also... As you're about to hear, she's very humble, ridiculously grounded. She is a role model to so many and an athlete that I reckon eh, she's probably never said no to an autograph or selfie request. She is a hero to countless kids and adults and most importantly for many has been an integral part in showing so many children, especially girls, that there is a sporting pathway out there for them to follow. To illustrate what type of lady she is, at the end of this podcast, immediately Elise dashed straight into a back room, came out with two of her actual Australian playing tops and almost in an embarrassed sort of way asked whether the pickle and big penguin would like them, yes, and should she sign them, yes, and yes. They wore them, the two of them, wore them as they watched Elise win the World Cup and that's why Elise Perry for mine, well, she is a true Australian hero. Enjoy. 
So when you search and then you find And know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be revealed In King Selassie I Come on children, try it with me We want to reach Mount Zion Elise Perry, welcome to the Howie Games and thanks for welcoming me into your beautiful house. I am that stoked to sit down and have a chat with you. Ah, thanks for coming over. (laughs) Anytime. eh? We were just chatting about podcasts and you do listen to a few podcasts out there? Yeah, a few. Um, Bits and pieces, I suppose, Um, especially when you're spending a bit of time in the car travelling various places. But um, yeah, like a bit of a wide variety of um, podcasts, certainly yours at different times. Um, But yeah, I like... yeah, Richard Feidler's conversations. Outstanding. Um, some amazing stories in there. Um, ones that I can't believe I've never heard of before, mm. really, and until you listen to them. Um, and a little bit around um, sports performance and SNC. I kind of geek out on that a bit every now and then, too. Bit of strength and conditioning. Yeah. Right up your alley. Hey, this is going to be an interesting <laughs> podcast because. Um, we don't know each other that well, but we see each other at cricket grounds and say day. But whenever I see you in the media being asked about yourself, you always deflect attention <laughs> and talk about other things. So as weird as this is going to be, is that a fair comment? Is this going to be a boxing match? Well, no, and that's <laughs> not your idea. But defending. You are going to actually have to talk about yourself, which is something that right. I notice you avoid. You're, you're, very, uh, you're a very humble person, I think. Um, well... It'd be a little bit ironic if I started telling you how humble I am, <laughs> isn't yes, it? it would be. Um, but um, ah, no, I, I don't know. It's probably something I'm not or never been all that comfortable about. Um, but um, I'm very much looking forward to this chat. Having listened to a number of your your um, guests before, I think it's always really interesting to hear people's stories. And I yeah. suppose when you're directly asked about them. Um, yeah, sometimes it's nice to chat about it. And there's no cameras, which always makes it better. Yes. You are in your New yep. South Wales Lendlease Breakers <laughs> gear. Yep. How often in a typical year are you not wearing sporting gear? Oh, I knew I should have got changed before <laughs> this, but I was too lazy. I was expecting you to be in something like that. Um, oh, not a lot, right. to be honest. Um, I like getting out of it, that's for sure, but um, I'm probably a bit of a homebody too, so I don't go out a lot. Um but yeah, especially you know these days, um, I guess the way that that our sporting landscape has changed for, for female athletes, you spend a lot of time mm. in um, in uniform, and much to my behest, there is so much that you just end up kind of having to throw away at the end of it all because you've got a change full of it or kit not? And, um, Well, I did, but we've actually had a few um, spring cleans lately, so right. it's kind of all gone. But um, yeah, too much, way too much. You've been very busy. We were just before we get too much into your story. We are just talking about the uh, amazing new television rights deal with mm. Seven and Fox Sports who are both do a wonderful job with the cricket, I've got no doubt. And you were saying that the interest from both broadcasters in the female side of the game is like nothing you've seen before. And you've just had a three-match series against New Zealand. Congratulations. You, you <laughs> did over the Kiwis there, but the ratings were outstanding as well. It's a really exciting time. Yeah, it's it's been amazing. Um, and I, I think um, in a lot of ways, like this broadcast deal has just come at the absolute perfect timing as well. There was a bit of groundswell around, um, you know, women's sport and women's cricket um, leading up to when that deal was done. And then since that's happened, I think it's just gone to a whole new level. And a lot of that has been aided and boosted by the new broadcasters in in Seven and Fox. But also I think, you know, Cricket Australia as well really wanted wanting to further push the game. And um, 
what's that? That's resulted in such an amazing outcome for us as players and mm. um, for the team because, yeah, I mean, you mentioned that series. It's the busiest series we've ever had in the lead up to it in terms of um, shoot days with broadcasters and um, creating content and doing various promotional activities. Um, and then, you know, even when we got to the tour and matches, like the amount of demand around those games to speak to media, um, you know, even on game day, the interest in it, um, I guess for me probably what is the most um, exciting thing is that the game's starting to actually be analysed critically now as well and um, I suppose as an athlete um, that's kind of where you want it to get to because, um, yeah, it puts more pressure on you and, um, you know, there's a real responsibility to perform but it means that people are actually closely watching and they're really interested in what's going on and um, so that's been brilliant and, um, yeah, I can only really see it going up from here too. It's an outstanding point you make because coming from the sports broadcasting caper, I couldn't agree with you more. If you're watching a sport, doesn't matter what it is or who's participating, there's some sports you tiptoe around and people don't give their opinions, analysts don't give their opinions, and I think that's probably fair to say in the last however many years in women's sport, um, people haven't analysed it in detail because they don't want to be seen to be bagging the sport, but to come to its fruition, I guess that's what has to happen, isn't it? Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, by and large, um, the way that the sport's been broadcast has been so sporadic as well. So it's really tough on broadcasters to, um, you know, an analyst of of the game to actually sit there and and have a really strongly formed opinion when last time they watched these players Mm. play were a year ago in a one-off match or, um, you know, they've never come across players before that they're watching. So they're almost finding their feet. Whereas um, I think now, um, yeah, twofold broadcasters and and commentators are seeing like these players more and more so they're getting an idea of who they are and what they do and then on top of that um yeah there's there's more of a critical edge to it and I think that's so important to actually make the sport legitimate and um yeah is it hard when you hear the criticism for the first uh, time oh I guess I suppose so but I'm I'm certain um that male athletes still find it hard when they hear hear it they're just kind of anyone does don't they yeah adjusting to it but um, that makes it, I guess, when you do something well, um, <laughs> even sweeter. But, um, yeah. but yeah, I think it just makes it legitimate and it makes it real. And um, I know from my perspective, and I'm sure a lot of the girls' perspective, they'd rather have that because it means that people care and they're watching and almost that they've taken ownership of the team, um, you know, in a way that I suppose the Australian public owns the Australian men's team um, or they own the Wallabies or, um, you know, our best performing male teams. There's a real sense of ownership from the public that comes with that and when they do bad, they're outraged or, you know, when they do well, they're euphoric and and really happy about it and I think the ultimate goal is to get to that with the Australian women's cricket team um, and, you know, other sports but I guess my focus is the cricket team, um, that people, like, they own it and they really see it as a representation of themselves. Um, so the, that means a lot of good and bad things for, for us as players, but I think it's the most satisfying um, way to be. It's a really interesting point because I, I, I don't, I haven't read a great deal. You know, if the men's cricket team get beaten, the media especially the print media, will be savage. There's been times where the likes of Matty Hayden, Ricky Ponting, where writers have been calling for their jobs time and time again, which whether that's right or not, we're not probably here to debate it. I probably don't think it is, but I probably still haven't seen that. If if you guys had lost to New Zealand, I'm not sure whether it would have been you would have been criticised enormously in the print media, but we're probably getting closer to that point. Yeah, I think we're edging closer to it, definitely. I mean... um you know, the last couple of years we've 
we've been unsuccessful in World Cups and lost some pretty disappointing matches. Um, and, you know, whilst you wear that really hard as a team, I think, you know, it definitely gets glossed over um, in the media and um, yeah. and there's often just like references to when the team is successful um, or, you know, what they've been successful in rather than being like, oh, you know, what's going on? What, let's have an investigation into this. Who underperformed? Um, why didn't the team do what they they expected to do, I guess? Well, if it was um, the men, it'd be listed. This is where everyone's average of the series, yeah. batting average, bowling average, etc. player et ratings. Yeah, yeah, all that kind of stuff. So, um you know, and do you know what, Howie, I'm kind of like just thinking off the top of my head here, but it probably hasn't been fair to do that to female athletes before because they're probably never full-time. Um, it's a great point. Weren't all that well-supported or resourced, and so the expectations probably were a lot lower because it was almost probably um, quite admirable and astonishing that girls are achieving what they were based on, um, I guess, the time they had to apply their trade yeah. and work on it and train and, and what they were remunerated for um, in doing so. But now it's the game's totally different and, um, yeah, there's a lot more skin in it, I guess. So how has it changed for you since you first started playing for Australia um, in cricket and football, <laughs> which we'll get to, um, as a 16, 17-year-old? How's yeah. the coverage and the interest changed in um, the 10 years you've been involved as a professional athlete? So much. Has like it? Oh, tenfold, twelvefold, I don't know. So, so, so much. I mean... Um, first tour I went on was, yeah, when I was 16. Um, I was in year 11 at school and essentially probably knew of three or four of the girls in the Australian women's cricket team. Huh. Um, and they were all from New South Wales and I'd sort of seen them around at training when I'd go into the SCG in, in the underage squads. Um, the rest of them, you know, I, I knew a few names obviously, but I'd never met some of them. Um, and they all pretty much worked or had were studying or had part-time jobs. And cricket was sort of like a semi, not even semi-professional thing. They weren't paid for it at all. Um, and, yeah, it was like the most amazing tour I've ever been on. Um, so, so much fun. And, um, yeah, I don't think in terms of the attitude or um, the way that the players played was much different in terms of the, the professionalism and wanting to perform, but just everything around that was so different. Um, and it wasn't until after that um, tour, which was... July 2000 and oh man I'm gonna get this one 2007 um it was like after that tour finished they brought in contracts for the Australian team for the very first time and they were they were a tiered system so there was three tiers and I think it was five thousand dollars ten thousand dollars and fifteen thousand dollars for the year um for and you yeah and you were sort of ranked and split into one of those categories right yeah so did you get the five the ten or the fifteen oh, do you know what i don't i don't remember right. but for a 16 year old school nah. school girl i was like <laughs> right. this is amazing <laughs> and i think everyone else in the team was like you've got no idea <laughs> which i didn't um yeah and that was sort of I guess it very steadily progressed um, from that. I think it, you know, two years down the track, it went from that to 10,000, 15,000, and 20,000. So it sort of very slowly increased. Um, and it was probably like that for six or seven years. And it's only been in the last three or four years, probably the last four years, that it's actually become um, a full time wage for girls, and girls haven't had to work or or study or still be at school. So the Australian, you're about to go to the Caribbean for mm. a crack at another World T20 Championship. You've won three of them? Uh, yes. Three. So of the 15 in the squad, would they all get by as professional athletes without having to work? Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
particularly the ones that are Australian contracted players. Yep. Um, and then even our state or domestic players now um, could get by. Um, so what's Nirvana, do you reckon, at least uh, for you as a, a leader um, across a couple of different sports as a female professional athlete? Yeah. Um, what do you think Nirvana is? What can you see it being? Because the crowd interest in the WAFL and the WBBL yeah. and watching you guys play that test match, um, it's an extraordinary increase. What do you think Nirvana is? Where can it get to? Well, Nirvana for me is um, us being a profit-making um, sport, basically, mm-hmm. Um I haven't really been eloquent in saying that, but essentially we make money for Cricket Australia um, in very much the same way that the Australian men's team does um, or, you know, the WBBL competition is profitable for Cricket Australia. I think that's Nirvana because that's basically, um, yeah, paying our way, I suppose. In some ways, and we'll get to this, we'll get to where it started for you, but I have an eight-year-old daughter who I reckon two years ago wouldn't have realised you could play footy or cricket for a living as a little girl. And for me as a parent, as a dad, it's getting close to Nirvana because she'll now sit there and watch it and there's a whole other world. Yeah. I, I actually get quite emotional when I think about it. Like, there's a whole other world. My son can see it every day, but yeah. it's for the first time my daughter can see it, and it's 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 um yeah, it's really really cool. Yeah, it's it is. I totally agree. Um, and I think we're kind of seeing that um at the face of things too with all the matches we play now. Um, at the end of the game, there is that many young girls and boys lined up along the fence. Um, who know all the players in the team, and they are hanging out for an autograph or a photo and they tell you that they're playing um, the same sport and they're absolutely loving it and they want to, you know, they want to be on the field like us in, um, you know, a few years' time. And their parents, I think that's the other part of it is, um, as you just said, like their parents are so happy that um, their little girl is seeing that as well and they're so supportive of it and it's just, it's super cool. Like, um yeah, just and that's only really happened in the last couple of years. I mean, before that, you'd have odd, the odd people come down and watch matches, but there wasn't this amazing like, "Wow, I could do this in the future. This could be yeah. me." Kind of feeling about it. Um, so that's just been like, yeah, one of the most rewarding things of the last couple of years for sure. It's flowed through as well because I'm relatively new to the cricket commentary caper mm. and have been involved in other sports for a while. But um, now I go to work. I'll be working with Fox and I'll have Mel Jones and Isha Gua sitting beside yeah. me. And hopefully you at times, I know you're involved with Fox and, and Seven will have Alison Mitchell and they'll have Lisa Stalaker. And yeah. I think that just boosts the whole thing because all of a sudden you get a greater understanding of the passion of the female athletes because it's being voiced by a female commentator. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, um, knowing Lisa and Mel... Particularly well, um, having played against Isha, <laughs> yeah, um, and and seen Alison around a lot, like they know their stuff, and um, and yeah, they're they're brilliant at their jobs, and I think um, what's been amazing too is that um, you know, like they're really sought after now too by um, My word, Seven and Fox, but also I know Lisa and Mel do the T Twenty circuit around the world, and um, have had so many amazing opportunities that maybe they didn't necessarily get in their playing days, but they're still benefiting from the way that the sports evolved now as um, as commentators, which has been yeah great to follow their progression and um, 
Yeah, they're doing an amazing job. You're off to the Caribbean, and I know Mel Jones will be commentating on that. If you want one tour guide in the Caribbean, Mel Jones can open doors. I just have a couple of CPLs with her there. Yeah, that I woman bet. can open doors. Oh, my gosh. And I reckon she can open doors anywhere, Howie. Yeah, she is. And she comes <laughs> back from the Caribbean. She's got the braids in her hair. Um, yeah, I am she, excited to see her next hairdo, actually. Oh, <laughs> she's, she is fantastic. All right, we've, uh, we've discussed women's sport a bit yes. there, uh, Pez. Where did it start for you? Where did your love of sport come from? Was it from your parents? Yeah, yeah I think so. Um, yeah, very much sort of mum and dad love sport. Um, both played a lot when they are younger. Um, I suppose um, in terms of sports that I've ended up doing, it was certainly more dad's influence. He What's played, your dad's name? Uh, Mark. Mark. And he did a lot of cricket or played a lot of cricket when he was younger. Um, and I know, you know, it was sort of a huge passion of his um, and something that I guess mum adopted too. Like they went on a few tours. He still talks about this tour he went to in India with some Australian universities team and he thinks he's still sick from it. <laughs> come on, Mark. <laughs> to the point where they do not come to the subcontinent when we play over there. They're happy to come to England and New Zealand and all these lovely places. But anyway, um, yeah, so, I mean, it was a huge part of my dad's life. Um, he played first grade in Sydney for Sydney Uni for a number of years. Um, um, and, yeah, mum mum was sort of did a lot of swimming, um, athletics, netball. So both of them were really sporty and um, I think they actually met at a swimming pool because my mum loved swimming and my um, my dad's dad, um, Pop, was a swimming coach. So uh-huh. he used to drag all of um, dad's um, siblings down, there were six of them, to the um, to Parramatta pool and my mum used to go there voluntarily um, <laughs> and, and train under him and so they actually met, yeah, um, swimming. But... Um, yeah, so it was just a big part of our, our family life. I've got an older brother. His name's Damien, and we just used to do everything in the backyard, um, you know, cricket, soccer, rugby, down at the local park, and, yeah, it was just always mum and dad out there playing with us, and I think I just always loved it, basically. So what was your first competitive sport experience? Was it oh. soccer or was it cricket or was it something else again? That's a great question. It might have been tennis, actually. Tennis? I think so. Um, Were you amazing at that as well? No. Right. No, rubbish. <laughs> really? Um, I find that hard to believe, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> yeah, my, maybe tennis, just at the local courts, doing, doing some lessons and then playing, like, little games. I still can't serve. Like, oh, it's so frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> was it, was it, was it the, the fun part of it or was it the competition part of it or wanting to be involved? Um I think it was all of it. Mm. And um, I just love being active, actually. Um, I love being outdoors and and moving and, um, like, I find so much joy in that and, like, I I just feel, like, so incredibly lucky that basically my career is that. Mm. But, um, like, I go out of my way to find time to be outdoors and, and being active even when we're not training and playing. It's just something that makes me feel great and I've had that feeling since I was, you know, three or four years old. Um, you know, we used to go down to the beach on the weekends and it's just been, it, that was always our family time was outdoors doing stuff. It was never indoors. Um, or, you know, I wasn't really a kid that liked going in the movies mm. or going temping bowling. Um, yeah. So I think that's just kind of where it stemmed from really. Give me a guess. Give me a guess within a hundred thousand, how many balls your dad's thrown at you in the net? <laughs> Um, well, I reckon a scan of his shoulder would say millions. Right, right. <laughs> but he's thrown a lot. Um, yeah, wow, a whole lot. <laughs> and it's been an, an ongoing part of your career. A couple of people explained to me yeah. it's not like he did it when you were five and six and then stopped. Yeah, no, he's been a constant since um, he showed me how to hold a bat when I was about 
yeah, five. And <laughs> um, to now, like every time I'm home, we still, um, yeah, have, have net sessions together, which is... Um, what a special thing. Oh, it's been... Yeah, I I think easily like the most special part of my my career has been able to share that with dad and um yeah, it's 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 like yeah, obviously he's my dad first and foremost and we have a bond um mm. as father and daughter, but then this sort of added layer of being able to share a passion um and I guess I've gone through this journey of a I guess 11 years now that I've been playing for Australia where um yeah, we just constantly try to um, improve and get better and it's been such a great challenge and yeah to share that with him has been um, yeah something I feel really thankful for. So coming up through the ages mm. as a young female cricketer were you playing with girls or did you have to play against the boys? Uh, mainly boys. Right. Yeah I played um, boys club cricket for so most age, of my childhood. So what age would you have started playing cricket like that? Um, about eight I think yeah so like um, I mean it's changed a lot now in terms of the formats, but we played incredible cricket, which is sort incredible. Of like, yeah, so um, that was my first, and on a concrete pitch, and that was sort of like yeah, under nines or tens. Um, so I played a year of that, and you only got like three overs to bat and um, and stuff like that, and and then yeah, the next year I went into like full normal cricket, and um, I think I was probably the only girl in the comp for the first couple of years and then there was one or two around. Um, but, yeah, I, I loved it. I mean, I was such a tomboy, um, as you probably already guessed. Mm. Um, so, you know, I was great mates with all the boys in my team. Um, some of them are still my best mates now and we catch up regularly. But, um, yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. I loved being – I played, um, you know, boys soccer as well. So I sort of, yeah, just enjoyed that a lot and didn't really know that there was women's cricket, to be honest. I just thought it was pretty normal that – boys and girls play together so so this is the first opportunity in this interview where you're going to have to not be modest at least where you're going <laughs> okay. to have to actually just just give me numbers i'm all for challenges yeah. so. in in those days yeah. of cricket were yeah. you a dominant player uh yeah hmm, good question i i was definitely I, th- I think people got a shock when they saw that i could match it with the guys right. um and yeah, like, I mean, I was probably one of the better players in the team. What um, was your best day as a junior cricketer? My best day? Statistically. Uh, oh, um, I was going to say <laughs> the long days when you got cakes at afternoon tea. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you can answer that way if That's you want. That's where my mind went. <laughs> There's nothing better than the day. old cricket afternoon tea with the and finger buns <laughs> or the lamingtons. And an ice cream on the way home because yeah. you just pestered Dad to stop yeah. at the petrol station. <laughs> <laughs> That's a better answer. Um, yeah. Um, goes to show where my heart lies. But, um, oh, man, I don't know. I, um, I remember, um, so you used to always go to Kingsgrove Sport, which is like mm. a cricket retailer. Yep. And um, at the start of the year, I'd get a new bat, which was like so cool because you'd wait. During winter, they'd send out the summer catalogue and, you know, you'd line up all these bats in the summer catalogue and like circle like six of them. So you'd have a short list before you went in there. Yep. And then you'd go in there and you'd like take the catalogue and you're like, I want to try this one and this one and this one. <laughs> and then you'd walk out with a completely different one. But anyway, um, I used to buy a little signature bat as well. And um, if I scored a 50 during the year or took um, three or more wickets, I used to like put it on the on the signature bat. Ah, right. Yeah, which is a bit nerdy, but... Um, That's cool. Yeah, so, I mean, a few times I got to put put something down um, during my cricket, junior cricket days. Did you make 100 cool. as a junior or was it too restricted time-wise? Um, I did in some primary school competitions, which are actually um, girls' competitions as, like, sort of representative 
primary school comp and um I, I only remember that because um, Elisa Healy, who's the Australian yep. wicketkeeper, um, was is my age, and we used to play against each other in those competitions. We knew each other, and um, we're pretty competitive. And um, I remember one day she made a hundred, and she came running back to the motel to tell me, and I was like, "Well, I made one too." So, <laughs> <laughs> so call it even. I don't think we talked to each other for a while after that. <laughs> hey, which cricket bat did you love? Because I think we Ooh. we've all done that. For me, it was um, the original. Grey Nichols scoop, I think, getting one of those, and it just it, like it blows your mind as a yeah. kid. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Like it was like Christmas coming early. Um, whenever you got a new bat, and uh, I think my favourite was probably I had a Gun and More Maestro. Oh, the Maestro. Yeah, I was pretty wrapped with that. Um, it was and the green and the blue, wasn't yes, it? Yes. Yeah. My brother had a Gun and More Cannon. Oh, nice. So we used to like you know, sit down there in front of the TV and knock it in for hours and hours and then get the oil out. and The linseed oil. Yeah. It sucks now. They're all done, ready to go, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Yes and no, I'm pretty lazy with that. Yeah. <laughs> but, but definitely, oh, that was the course. So probably the gun of my maestro. And as a footballer, as a as a soccer player, mm. you, you spent time playing against the boys as well mm. growing yeah, up? Yeah, pretty similar. I played most of my junior soccer with the boys. More of Elise in a moment. Next week on the Howie Games, a man who personifies the new age cricketer, Chris Lynn. I had to turn up to win, to contribute, to, to get me in the matches. And so the, the pressure there was, mate, I, I couldn't sleep at night. Um, I've, got, I've got tinnitus in my ears, so it's like that ringing noise when you come home from a nightclub is there 24 hours a day. And it's been there uh, pretty much since I popped my shoulder out in New Zealand. And, and when I get anxious, um, like trying to perform under pressure or whatnot, it, it, the ringing sensation is, is next level. And that's what I had leading up to the IPL, knowing I had this weight on my shoulders to perform for the three billion people supporting Kolkata. That's Chris Lynn next on the Howie Games. Alrighty, back to Elise. Okay, as you would know because you've listened to this podcast, uh, both my kids ask questions in this podcast. Yes. You are going to get the question from my son because it's an appropriate time, um, whose name is Mac, although he prefers the name Big Penguin. Don't ask me why, Elise, but that's what he likes to be called. So you get the question from the Big Penguin who sent me this because I've been in Bathurst, so he sent me this through last night. Hi, Elise, Big Penguin. I love playing sport. My hair is impy. Ronaldo and Finchie because I played backyard cricket with Finchie. Who were your heroes when you were young? <laughs> <laughs> he's a big Finchie man, Ronaldo, and Impy is German Impy because he's a Hawthorne fan who uh, plays okay. for the Hawks. Yeah. Uh, so who, who did you grow up? Who were you posted on the wall? Uh, well, Big Penguin. Um, I actually watched a lot of swimming growing up. Right. Um, my mum loved swimming and um, I think my dad by default sort of was a fan. So um, Susie O'Neill was my... My hero. Butterfly. Um, absolutely. Uh, we were sort of lucky to be there actually when she broke the world record for the 200 fly <laughs> and did the um, did that dance, the, the record yep. dance. So um, I remember that really fondly. Um, so I loved her and I also loved Ian Thorpe as well. Um, yeah, just probably the greatest swimmer ever, uh, Australian-wise anyway, definitely. Um, and from a cricket point of view, Michael Bevan. Michael Bevan, yeah. the finisher. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. yeah. Which I don't know why, because I was a bowler then, and I also am right-handed. But something about Michael Bevan and this number twelve shirt, I used to, yeah, used to love. Do you it. recall him hitting uh, four on New Year's Eve? Yes, right off the last ball. So that would have been a big night yeah, in the Perry household. Yeah, straight down the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. He's got to hit a boundary. We go over the top. The men will 
go back inside the circle they're right on the line he'll probably pitch it in towards Reg Stump and the full It's Michael Bevan's evening at the Sydney Cricket Ground. What a shot under pressure. The crowd is going mad at the Sydney Cricket Ground, and why not? So you're going along. Where are you going to school? Uh, I went to Beecroft Primary School. Right, and high school? Well, Pimble Ladies College. Um, so is that an all-girls school? All-girls school. Sounds rather posh. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was a bit of a shock. Did you have to wear a hat? <laughs> yeah, a beret. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, that's how... Oh. Well, actually, sorry, it's a Scottish version of a beret, which is a tam shanter Of course it is. So right. that was a huge shock <laughs> coming from a, pri- a public primary mm. school uh, where all my mates were boys and I was pretty happy wearing sports uniform to school every single day, even though I wasn't supposed to. Um, but, yeah, I, it was such a great school for me when I when I went to Pimble um, and I just had the most wonderful time at high school. Um, you a good student? Yeah, I was, yeah, I was decent. Um, I wasn't there a lot, especially towards the end. No, so, I bet. Um, but that was one of the, the best things about going to Pimble actually was that I think like it was, for choice of a better word, really cool to achieve and it didn't matter what it was that you were doing well in and it was really celebrated so um yeah like I had my whole world opened up really because uh, you know when I was at primary school I loved playing sport um yeah and I was okay at school and I, I liked class but I wasn't that into it and um and then I went to Pimble and then all of a sudden there's like these girls doing these amazing things in drama in music um we've got like world debating champions at the school we've got um yeah dancers and um and then real academics and it didn't matter what it was it was all like really celebrated and encouraged um and that really just caught me um when I when I got there because it was like oh wow like yeah like you can achieve whatever you want um and it's it's really cool to do that. So, um, yeah, that really caught me from year seven when I got there and um, probably had some ironing out <laughs> as well because I was such a tomboy. Um, right, like, had to make you a lady. Well, in a way, like, I just... I just remember because in year seven when you when you arrive at Pimble, they'd basically take you on school camp um, the week that you got there. So it was a really good way to get to know the new cohort and um, make new friends and all those kinds of things. I remember getting to camp. We're in the bush somewhere and I've got like scrubby clothes on and, you know, shocking haircut and all those kinds of daggy things because um, I just didn't care. And then, yeah, like this girls are talking about these brands like Louis Vuitton and like they don't want to go out in the like in the bush because their clothes are going to get dirty and they've got these like pre-bed routines that they can't do in the <laughs> in the camp bathrooms because there's no mirrors and I'm like what is going on <laughs> so it was a well-rounded education <laughs> needless to say I'm not being Better friends with the sportier girls, but right. um, but yeah, it was really cool. So, at what stage and what age did you start to think that you would like to play sport for a living? Um, yeah, I never really thought about it until um, until I got picked for Australia. Really, well, um, let's talk about that. You got picked for Australia to play cricket. Yeah, as a sixteen-year-old. Yeah, hadn't played for New South Wales. No, not yet. So you just thought you'd skip the state system. Straight, <laughs> well, straight, I definitely didn't think I would. But someone team. thought it was a good idea. So how do you find out? Uh, well, I was at school. Um, year eleven. Year eleven. Yeah, had my phone in my locker. 
like the model student that I was. Mm-hmm. And um, the head of selectors had actually called my dad um, at home and he, so he'd taken the call and they'd sort of explained that um, what had happened was Catherine Fitzpatrick, who was, who's been one of the best fast bowlers we've ever had, had yep. just retired the series before um, and then had a couple of injuries, I think, to, to some up-and-coming fast bowlers that were already in the system and had kind of just had this harebrained idea that, oh, maybe we could chuck in a 16-year-old girl who can bowl a bit and just see how it goes. And so they'd kind of come to that decision and then called my dad about it um, to tell him because they knew I was at school. And and then dad tried to call me at school on my mobile, but I didn't have it on me. So he ended up calling my best friend um, and she always had her phone on her. She had one of those fancy Motorola zip phones or whatever and it was bright pink and anyway irrelevant. Um, and she answered and she's like, oh, it's your dad's calling me. And I was like, what? what's going on? And then he, she gave me the phone and he kind of told me and I was like, just a little bit like, that makes no sense. So it was no warning, you didn't see it coming No, at not all. at all, not huh. at all. Yeah, I played um, like a underage Australian tour to New Zealand. Um, Juniors though, like underage. Underage, yeah, yeah under 21 I think it was um, and played underage state cricket as well and done okay in those things but, yeah, absolutely nothing to indicate that, yeah, they'd pull me into the Australian team. So who was your first match against? New Zealand. So what's it like as a 16-year-old walking into these change rooms? As you described earlier on, that you didn't know most of the girls yeah. in the team and you're 16. Yeah, it was pretty weird. <laughs> um, I so fortunately had um, a couple of training sessions with the New South Wales-based players before we went. And the tour is in Darwin. Um, so before we went to Darwin, there was about three or four training sessions. Um, and I'm really glad in hindsight that I that we had them because I was pretty nervous on the first couple. And um, I'm sure, you know, for the girls that were in the team, um, probably needed to suss out what this was all about as well because, like, they didn't really know me and they were like, oh, why is this 16-year-old kid being picked and what's going on? So... Um, yeah, that was that was good that those sessions happened. And then when I got there, yeah, it was like, I mean, fortunately, um, and probably not surprisingly at all, all the girls were just incredible. Um, so forthcoming in, in making me feel welcome. And, um, yeah, one of them, actually the captain at the time, Karen Rolton, um, who's one of the greats of Australian women's cricket, pointed out to me that she was actually old enough to be my mother. <laughs> <laughs> I first got there, which I found a bit weird. But anyway, they were all just great. And, um, yeah, I don't know how I – without sounding conceited, I've never really been intimidated, like, in that way. I've just always really looked at those kinds of things as a challenge and, like, well, okay, these people are the best players in Australia, so my challenge is to match it with them. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think I just kind of was really excited by that that chance and obviously then playing against the best players from New Zealand like I was like well yeah like why not like what can happen I just have a go and see what happens so um yeah I mean it was it was just kind of I just went along with it I guess. Do you get sledged as a young girl walking out to bat? Um not that I remember. Okay. Yeah there's not that much sledging in women's cricket. It's a pretty common question. Um, Lisa Healy's got the gift of the gab because she's Ian Healy's niece and right, so she's <laughs> that good just it. runs in the <laughs> in the family. But uh, I think you only get it if you you attract it, if that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. How did you go in that first match? Um, I did okay. I'm pretty sure we lost actually, but um, I was picked as a bowler, so I, I think I got three for and like a 20-odd or something like that. And a month later? 
You got picked to play yeah. football for Australia. I did. Yeah. You're a, you are a bloody legend, Pez. Oh. Like, like you seriously. Or <laughs> um, lucky, either one. <laughs> oh, no, I, 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 I don't think luck can get you through. So again, yeah. let's talk about how'd you find yeah. out you're going to play football. Um, well, I'd been been in the young Matildas team um, a fair bit, and um, so that's yeah underage Australian team, um, and had. I'd been to a few like Matilda's camps and um, bits and bobs like that, um, and I think at the time there was sort of like some um, experimenting going on around um, sending younger teams away to play in some matches um, and giving some younger players some opportunity. And uh, yeah, there was a, a World Cup qual- or Olympic qualifying match I think um, against Hong Kong, Hong Kong, which are a pretty weak side in um, Hong Kong. In Hong Kong. Yeah, which you won eight one. Yeah, we did. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> You've done, done your some research. research. There you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so they just wanted to send some younger players. So um, yeah, they. I, I, to be honest, I don't remember the form of communication on it. It was pretty much you go in Hong Kong, and I was like, yeah, cool. And they're like, oh, and it's going to be a senior international match. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, so just unfazed. Um, you seem unfazed by these developments. Yeah, uh, might be the key to your success. Maybe, yeah, maybe. I I haven't thought much about it, but I like I don't I as I said, I love the challenge. Like to me it's like okay, well, just let's have a go. Like not like the multiple reasons why you shouldn't do it. Um cuz that'd be a pretty boring life to live running yeah. away from stuff. So yeah, <laughs> I think I've just always been like, okay, well, let's just see what happens. You scored in your first game? Yeah, I did. <laughs> Run me through it. Look at the smile oh, on your face. No. Run me through it. Devising or kick or oh, yeah, through yeah. outside the box or what yeah, was it? Yeah, halfway, halfway line. Beckham style? Bicycle, yeah. Right. Think, um, <laughs> think Zoltan. Right, <laughs> okay. Kind of. Right. Did he, oh, Abraham my God, Mitch? no. It was the most innocuous, like, ball dribbled out from the penalty spot and I kicked it back. Right. At the goals and it went in kind of thing. Kind of thing. But as you said, we won 8-1, Howie, so it wasn't. It wasn't the most trickiest of matches, and I think maybe the Hong Kong goalkeeper was a little bit height challenged as well. So right. <laughs> they went for a shorty in goals. Yeah, yeah, maybe they didn't have any tall ones. Right. <laughs> Interesting selection policy. Yeah, we'll get to the decisions and the choices you had mm-hmm. to make, it and the amount of times whenever you're interviewed, you're asked that question. Yeah, a question I've never thought of asking you before when we spoke to you on the radio. Do you think you're a better footballer or cricketer? Because <laughs> uh, everyone else has got an opinion, don't they? What do you think? Yeah. Uh, well, I'd have to say cricket because that's what I'm I'm doing now. Um, but is that because of the path you chose or you think you're better at it? Yeah. Um, hmm. I think it's maybe multifaceted. I think I was probably personality-wise a bit more suited to cricket um, and I only know that because I guess I was in both environments mm. and I just have always felt more comfortable in the cricket environment. Um, so I think that whether consciously or subconsciously probably veered me towards that in in terms of like um, wanting to spend more time in that environment and working on things around cricket. Um, And I think it, it, yeah, the game itself probably suits me a little bit more. Um, I think the hardest thing for me in soccer was that I'm not super quick. um, And I, I think that, you know, towards the end of when I stopped playing, it was really going that way. Like speed was very important. Um, and I, it's not that I was super slow at all, but I probably to have real X factor in the game, you've got to be pretty quick uh, regardless of your position. So, um, yeah, I think probably cricket. But, um, yeah, I don't know, maybe. I Who knows? Like I, I could have been better at soccer than what I was. But, 
yeah, I never spent the time doing it. At its height, when you were at a high level mm. of both, how crazy were your weeks? And uh, <laughs> tell me about the training because obviously they've both got very different disciplines. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't – it never felt crazy to me. Um, I absolutely loved it. Like, And it was a bit of an ju- adjustment like when I stopped playing soccer um, because I just missed that kind of training so much. And as I said to you earlier, I love being active. Mm. So in a way it's sort of my vice because I whatever was on, I was getting to it. Um, so there was like a lot of like driving across Sydney. Um, soccer training was based out west um, around Blacktown area and cricket's often been at the SCG. So there's sort of mad dashes between training you know, sometimes I'd have both on in the same evening. Um, so I'd have to leave soccer a little bit early to get to cricket or vice versa. And um, that was like probably the hardest part of it was just the travel. But the actual training, um, I suppose I got all my fitness stuff from soccer. So mm. I didn't have to really do much running at cricket. Did a lot of skills in gym. Um, and yeah, I mean, soccer's a lot like it were just all team sessions. So, you know, I'd, I'd go to all the team sessions with soccer and then if I miss cricket sessions, you can always catch them up kind of individually because it's so, like, skills-based and you do a lot of work one-on-one with coaches in cricket anyway. But, yeah, I mean, it was pretty busy. I would train every day and I'd kind of be somewhere in the morning and the afternoon. How do you deal with the never-ending question? It was probably a lazy question, to be honest, but you know what the question <laughs> is. How did you deal with the question about which one are you going to choose? Because I reckon... Every interview you did yeah. for six years, you would have been faced with that question uh, somewhere. To be honest, I I probably bored myself to death because I you asked, never answered, I answered it. it on autopilot. Yeah, and, and you never in answered retrospect, it. I'm pretty embarrassed about it because it's so boring. Like people must just have been like, "What on earth?" Like to I, say something, but there wasn't really a lot to say. I just was like, "I'm just going to do it," and I'm just going to spit out a generic. It was almost felt like I was a politician most of the time. To be right. honest, like when I answered it, but. I mean, the truthful fact was, like, I just played both and both let me do it and so I wasn't going to pick one, like. um, And so when everyone kept asking what I'd pick or how I did it, I'm like, well, it just happens, like. So, yeah, I I don't know um, if that answers your question, but. How did the different um, organisations deal with it? Obviously it came to a head eventually, but. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, for the most part, they are pretty amazing. Um, I think they were. Yeah, like we were talking before about how it kind of eventuated where I played um, cricket for Australia and then a month later played soccer. Yeah. And I don't think anyone had seen it coming. So it kind of just crept up on on both organisations and myself so that we just had to go along with it after that happened because I suppose it was, um, from their point of view, quite a a good story and... um, gave a little bit of coverage to, to both sports. And then from my point of view, I was like, well, I love both sports. How good is this? I'm just going to keep playing. Um, and, yeah, there was some incredible support from, from both organisations and particular people within them, um, from coaches to administrators that were like, no, let's, let's make this happen. Don't worry, that is only the end of part A of this episode. There's heaps more to come with Elise in part B. See you there. Listener.